My name is Shari Hawkins. I'm a Team USA heptathlete. That's seven different track and field events. I'm an American champion. This is the Olympic Mindset Podcast. I didn't make the Olympics in 2021. Just sponsor after sponsor after sponsor. Just drop me, drop me, drop me, drop me, drop me. One of my coaches contact me and say that they gave me everything and I gave them nothing in return. You get to a space where like people will still love you if, if you don't do well and when that turns out to not be true. Hello and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson the world's leading learning company. Before I continue, I'd just like to take a second to thank our sponsors, NEHT, Two Simple Software, Hugh and BSI. This week's episode, episode 11, is with Shari Hawkins. Shari is currently one of the leading track and field athletes. In 2022, Shari secured the American National Championship pentathlon title and competed at the World Championships. She represented Team USA in the heptathlon at the 2019 World Championships. She's Team USA captain. She's been recognised as Female Sports Person of the Year. And she has a degree in education. Shari talks to us around anxiety, failure, mental health, and also tells us a little about her experience in education also. We hope that you enjoy this week's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. I was I was actually gonna say uh, too is my um, my parents are both educators too. Okay. Um, my mom's a, uh, was a fourth grade teacher. She just retired. My dad was a counselor, and then he also did. Uh, he was a high school basketball coach. When I went and got my master's, my goal was to be a superintendent. I was super excited about getting onto this podcast because a huge passion of mine has been like the the mental well being of students, but honest to goodness, the reason I wanted to be a superintendent is I wanted to improve the mental well-being of teachers because my mom went through a lot as a teacher and I got to see like the positives of it and the negatives of it because it is a hard job. It's a hard job. And I wanted to make the teacher's jobs easier by me being the superintendent. And so like, I love that you're doing this for your community and for like your teachers and your students because they need it. I've seen how much they need it from my own personal story with my home life. I think this is so awesome and I'm just like really excited to be part of it for sure. So I just want to tell you that before we got started. Just so you know, I'm going to include that. Thank you so much. That's yeah. really kind of you to say. And obviously for anyone listening, because I am going to include that, superintendent is director of education, which is the role I currently hold. Of course. Exactly, I mean, I, I exactly really truly I mean it, like it in Shari. every sense of the word because the healthier and happier like our teachers are, um, the better they can, uh, better education they can provide and the better environment they can provide. And it's just, and it's when the students are happier, the teachers are happier, when the teachers are happier, the students are happier, it like all coincides. Um, I say the same thing about coaches as well. Like when coaches are educated and they love their jobs, they have a passion and they understand exactly what they need to do. And then mentally they feel like they can provide what they need to, to their athletes. It's the same type of a situation. And I think that too often we neglect coaches, we neglect teachers thinking that like, oh, they're adults, like they can do it. But like one thing I always say um, is a lot of people think, assume that like, because I'm a, I'm like a team USA world-class like athlete, like that I've, I must've figured something out. But what they don't realize is that when I step onto the world stage, it feels the same as when I was in high school, stepping onto the track you get those same nerves. You're at that exact same like level where you're like, wow, okay, like I can do this. And you try to be as focused as you can. We stay the same person and we grow and we learn and we change in that and we adapt in that way. But like, we're still us at the end of the day. So all of these teachers that um, are expected to be like these, like just take it and like go and like 
be be the best under the hardest of circumstances like go do it you're an adult you can figure it out they forget that like hey they were also like students they were also children they were babies like and we're all just us at the end of the day like we're not superheroes um we're just doing our best to like make an impact and so i love 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 again you don't even have to include this but i just love that you're like doing your best to lift them up as well because it's just so awesome so obviously shari you've had an amazing career which we'll get into in a bit but you've gone and touched on something that we wanted to talk about we discussed it before we started to record which is performance anxiety and the fact that i think Mm -hmm. it's something like one in six people in the uk will struggle with anxiety at some point so were there any particular steps or lessons that you've learned that you still apply now? Yeah, uh, the, honestly, there's a lesson that I wish I would have known. And then there's a first step that I took. But the lesson I wish I would have known is, first of all, I love that you're saying one in six people, because um, at some point, you are most likely going to feel this. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've always hated the campaigns that are saying, if you need help, da da da, instead of when you need help, because this will happen to you. This life is hard. There's a lot going on right now. And it's, it's like just expensive financially. It's expensive like mentally and it's expensive physically to be human. That's like step one. Like, yes, it's going to happen and it's absolutely okay. Um, but my first step, I would say was asking questions about my anxiety. Where is this actually stemming from? Why is this happening? And what can I do? I assumed that because I was a professional athlete, the experience was going to take care of the anxiety itself. I'm going to learn a lesson and then the anxiety is going to go away. Finally, I had a really big breakthrough moment where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I started asking like, Everybody I knew, like, have you ever had anxiety when you compete? Where does it stem from? And somebody had said, you know, I think this is just kind of your lot in life. And I was like, oh. And he was like, there are just some people who don't put as much gravity onto their competitions. And I thought that was really interesting because I was like, what kind of gravity? You know, like in my mind, I was like, what kind of gravity? And I realized what he was talking about was that there are some people who don't put their value on their performance and not just their value as an athlete, but their value as a person. And I, and I realized that I was doing that. But the crazy thing is, is it wasn't my lot in life. I hadn't realized that I was putting my value as a person on my performance and then I, I started journaling. I started like asking myself like, hey, are you a good person even if you don't perform well? <laughs> and I had to really be like, yes, <laughs> I'm a good person even though I'm not performing well. That was this crazy, aha, relieving, so relieving moment of being like, even if every event goes horribly wrong because I'm a heptathlete, so I do seven track and field events. So there's seven opportunities to not do well what do you still bring to the table as a person? And it was just like the hugest weight off of my shoulders. How long did it take to see a change? It took me, you know, I would say it took me from that realization, I would say it took me like four weeks of like really asking myself that all the time. Like I would go into practice and I would consciously be like, okay, no matter how this practice goes, you are an awesome person you know, and I would have to like do that. And it was just like me being consistent over that. Um, my first competition after that, I did terrible. Maybe the worst high jump I've ever jumped since I was in high school and I was a professional athlete. So I was like, wow, like not good. But what I will say is it was the very first competition where I didn't have an anxiety attack. And when I say anxiety attack, I mean, full blown. I, my vision starts to tunnel like I, I can't, I feel like I'm breathing through a straw. I'm getting hives on my neck and I'm, my body starts to shut down. Like at every competition I ever had, um, that was a heptathlon before that moment, that was what I was experiencing. So can I just ask you a question, a, a legitimate question? Yes. Did you for any moment consider that anxiety was the thing that fueled you to be so successful? Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today, 
and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they have to say on the topics that matter, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. Yeah. Um, so what I will say is that my anxiety was the reason that I continued to do track because I had that anxiety in college in, at university in my undergrad. And um, I was so upset at myself for not doing that. And that was, again, me, instead of working on my anxiety, that was me saying, well, once I go pro, I won't have anxiety anymore. So let's continue go pro. And then we won't have anxiety more because you're pro now. Think about, <laughs> think about yourself. And then you're just like, oh, well, like in two months, just because I'm two months older, like it's just nothing. Like I'll be strong. I'll be like really buff because I'm not going to work out or anything, but I'll be two months older. So I'll be like really like, that's what my brain was basically saying to myself. Like the thing that's hard about anxiety, like really bad, bad, bad anxiety is it's to me, when you have like the flu, you're just so sick all day. It's just so miserable. That's like kind of like how anxiety was for me. It was so miserable. It hurt my body. Like, so even though I did kind of bad, the reason why this is important that I didn't have anxiety is because going into the competition, I said, I do not care how I do. I will only have fun. I will act like this is practice. Even if it, it was a huge, it was the biggest competition I had ever done, by the way, um, up to that point. And I was actually competing against, like, I was competing against KJT for the first time. And I love KJT. Like, and I had never met her. In fact, I have a really funny story. Her and I are super good friends now. I just adore her so much. Um, but <laughs> the first time we ever met, um, what I wanted to say to her, I was like, I'm going to go introduce myself. This is going to be great. And I wanted, I went up to her and say like, Hey, like my name is Shari. Like, I just think you're amazing. And I'm super excited to compete against you. You know, I wanted us to be like best friends. So I was trying to be like cool, calm, collected. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're on the same page. We're on the same team. You know what I mean? And I went up there. I swear I blacked out. I went up up there and I looked her dead in the eye and I was like, I love you. <laughs> And she had no idea. She was like wondering, like, are you going to say more? And then I ran away. <laughs> I went on my social media and um, apologized to her. Um, like, I was like, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. And I do love you, though. Um, but yeah, anyways, she's so sweet. But it was the biggest competition of my life. Um, yeah. So amazing. Um, but I did horrible. And then I go over to my parents who came all the way to Gotsis, Austria, to come and watch me compete and just watch me clear my opening bar and then nothing else. And I gave them, I was like, well, that's not the best. And they started laughing. And then I was like, well, okay, well, like, all right, see ya. <laughs> and they like just started laughing. We moved on. And then it was so funny because KJ, of all people who like wants to come up, talk to me, she's just like, I just really admire your attitude right now. And I had a personal best day too. It was the most fun I've ever had. And it was this opportunity to say, like, once you let go, you're actually allowed to compete, have fun. And when you have fun, you do well. <laughs> I realized that attaching my value to my performance was my issue. I find it fascinating to talk to you, Shari, because, you know, the chat before and the chat now during the recording, you've spoken so much about anxiety and how it can be crippling and, and disabling almost. And there will be people listening to this in education or business that are in a position at the moment that they don't want to push through because it's so difficult. I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that you continue to push through, even though you felt that crippling anxiety at every stage. And you've you've ended up becoming Team USA captain. Is that right? So um, what they do is for every event um, for for like uh, the just like the US is they have somebody somebody called an AAC leader. Um, that represents the um, that event, so yep. it kind of allows the athletes to have a voice. So there's it is a little different than like making Team USA and being the team captain at that competition, um, mm. but like overall, it's just and it's called an AAC leader. So um, okay, so basically you're a captain of the heptathletes. Yeah, yeah, just like uh, just kind of like a, the speaker 
the speaker of, for the heptathletes type of thing, just like well, being e- like, either oh, way, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility because you have to be the voice of a group of people that a are all elite individuals and athletes. I'm assuming that you're in direct competition with, even though you're in their team, and b you've spoken at about several points of your career where you thought oh, I can't go on, a, you know, but I might push a bit further and hopefully the anxiety goes away. So you've gone from amateur to pro to representing your country to then representing all of the, the athletes in your sport. What is it that fuels you to keep pushing on to like more and more responsibility and accountability? I will say that um, back then um, I will, I will attribute a bit of ignorance, like just assumption of like, <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll get better. I'm sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks for the honest answer. <laughs> and now I would say that it's a little bit more intentional because like the important thing that I don't know if this is like kind of grim or not, but it never gets perfect. Right. Like, like it never gets to a space like now I've, you know, I've overcome so much. Uh, I didn't make the Olympics, um, in 2021 and it was devastating because I made the team in, uh, 2019. And then, you know, I ended up having to get ankle surgery, but we had a whole year to recover. I really thought that I was going to come back stronger than ever. And I did, I had an incredible Olympic trials, uh, competition, but it just wasn't enough to make the team, unfortunately. And, um, it was devastating, right? And there's so many things that still happen to this day, even from like the hardest things I've overcome. And now I'm really good at like internalizing that, hey, this is a tough time right now. Um, I'm having a tough time. The one thing I know I can do is continuing to push forward, knowing and trusting that if I continue to push through when I'm on the other side of this big hill, I will feel so good about actively sticking to it. Purple Mash is the complete online solution for primary curriculum content and tools. It's packed full of literally thousands of customizable cross-curricular resources covering English, math, science, geography, history, art, DT, music, and so much more. Educators can fully engage with outcomes from their learners with functionality to set work, make judgments, and collate data on performance. A dedicated teacher's area provides planning support, curriculum maps, subject leader toolkits, and access to a wealth of professional development, including a fully accredited CPD session, webinars, and one-to-one meetings, all as part of your subscription. To learn how Purple Mash can benefit your school, visit twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple. And that is a brilliant outlook. I think you reminded me of the quote, um, the night is darkest before the dawn, um, which actually is technically not true, but still is a great quote. (laughs) Um, But so many people what you're talking about there is something like growth mindset isn't it really having the ability to see a problem and know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and to persist past that point where you possibly feel physical or or, you know physiological pain I think it's amazing that you've done that is there something from your maybe your upbringing or the way you were brought up or your journey into sport that gave you this incredible mindset to push through the pain push through the anxiety and always have this kind of optimism that there will be better news on the horizon. I will say that uh, if it helps anybody, like I really hope this does help somebody. I used to be the mentally weakest person ever, but at competitions when I was having my anxiety attacks, I, I like, I don't want you guys to think that I was like having anxiety and then stepping up to the plate and then just like attacking it and doing so well. No, I was crying (laughs) underneath the bleachers, under the stadium, hysterically, like just like going to the bathroom in between jumps, putting my knees down and just sobbing with all that I had. And then coming back up and I would step on the line and I could just hear my heart beating in my ears and I have no idea what happens like completely. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm just like, oh yeah, like I've just always been this resilient. Just like how that person was trying to tell me that my lot in life is anxiety. It's not the case. Anxiety is fear. Like it stems from fear. And when we train our brain to 
both understand our fears and also push against our fears, we expand our ability to have fear come our way. And so we're not afraid anymore. And if we're not afraid, we're not feeling anxious. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be your lot in life, but it doesn't just happen. And I think that's the biggest issue is like, you need to train your brain the way you train. And so I don't know where I was going with that. I just went on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. And I do that. It was, it was, it was- it was a fascinating tangent. <laughs> so you reminded me of my favorite memory of being a teacher. So I had um, I had a class, it was my first ever class, and we had some really nervous, anxious girls, a group of girls, it was five of them that really struggled mm. with public speaking, nothing to do with gender or anything. It was just this group, you know, they were obviously confident girls in that group yeah. too. Um, but the group of girls in particular, they used to get really nervous about public speaking or standing up or answering in front of the class. So I did a little bit of research into reframing. So you said there that anxiety is a heightened state. Well, so is excitement. So it's much, much easier to transfer from um, anxiety to excitement than it is to say, calm down, calm down. Everything will be fine. It's literally impossible to do when you're in a heightened state. So what I started to do was I'd say to the girls when they say, oh, I don't want to speak. I'm nervous. I'd say, no, you're excited. I'd make a joke out of it and I'd get them to stand on their chair and we chanted together. And in the end, all five had major parts in the end of year performance speaking parts. And all of their mums were like thanking me for the year. And I just used that really simple strategy. And it's my favorite memory of being a teacher, watching those, that group of girls who'd struggle to even speak in front of the class, get up on that stage and speak in front of the whole school. It was amazing feeling. Selfishly, from an egotistical point of view, I loved it. <laughs> no, no. It's the best. Well, the thing is, is it's that's not true. It's not egotistical at all because the whole point was that you saw something that like was in your mind, that mindset, and you were able to change somebody's from this to this. You know, they always say that mental aspects of sport and honestly life is 80% mental mindset, but we don't train it enough. And I mean, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on sports psychology and mental training and like all that kind of stuff. But when it came to my training of my brain, it was never proactive. It was, everything was reactive. It was, I was feeling some type of way and then I would get a tool um, to fix that. We don't just go into sport and just start competing right away. We train proactively. We're on a schedule and we train and that's like what we do so that we can get better, right? So that when we compete, it makes sense. And, but there was nothing that I could do to train mentally like. on the subject of that can i just quickly cut in because obviously you're a qualified teacher you know how to write a curriculum you've got this unbelievable story for how you've overcome anxiety to rise up to become the representative for team usa heptathletes and obviously you've won gold medals and all kinds of events tell us a little about 30 days with shari and where did those lessons come from yeah yeah so i need to figure out a way so that i'm training my brain the way that i train my body i'm on a nutritious meal plan that somebody helped me write i'm on a physical schedule that somebody helped me write and then everybody in the whole world would agree that sports is so mental and i am not on a mental program basically what i did is i took every tool that i had learned that had really really helped me and i found a way of proactively um, training my mind for it. As I did this, I was just lit up from like the ground up. Just like how you said with, with your girls, like being able to see people go from this to this. Like the biggest thing is when I talk about my anxiety is when people say like, help me. I was like, I need to share this program. Like I have to. So I created 30 Days with Shari, which is um, basically a 30-day mental training, mental toughness training program. Um, Every day we start off with like a little podcast where I'm just talking to you about the tool that I love using. I love talking about C or T. So is this a threat, a T, or is this a challenge, a C? Because as human beings, like we love a challenge, right? But if, it, if it's something that feels like there's a lot of people in the room and they're nervous if they're going to do it, it feels threatening to them. But it's that it's that C or T. Is this a challenge or this is threat? And if you can learn how to change it from a threat to a challenge by just making a switch, just like are you nervous or are you excited, your whole mindset shifts. As soon as we're done with the podcast, I give you a challenge. Um, and the challenge is basically just 
a way for you to practice the tool that I teach you. You do a challenge so that you can apply that tool to your life and practice it yourself. And then the last thing that we do is just like a little workout together. And it's one of those things where I've tried to make it so that literally anybody can do it at any age. And we go through and we practice kind of connecting our mind and our body while we're doing the workout. We think about the tool, we try to apply it. So like if it gets really hard and you want to stop, we use that tool to keep going so that we can say when we are faced with something that's difficult. We overcome it. It's a really fun program. And um, I'm actually really excited that it's um, now structured and it's not just randomly in my little journal for when I was doing it. I mean, if anything, like nobody likes it. It's fine. I love it and it works for me, but I really think it's going to work for a lot of people. Charlie, it's amazing to hear about the program. I obviously have done a little bit of research into it and looked into it and it does sound fantastic. And I'm really glad to hear that you've got the challenge bit in because so many programs you read have the kind of the content, the theory, and then maybe a written task or something. But the idea of a challenge of something to do, you reminded me a lot of the Tim Ferriss experiment. It's um, is basically, I, th- I think it comes from, I can't remember the name of the book, but yeah, it's essentially a challenge. So I'm going to give you one, right? And you've got to do this now, Shari. Deal? Okay. The challenge is next time you're in a coffee shop, you have to go to the front of the queue and you have to ask for discount. You have to ask for 10% discount. And it's not because you can't afford the 10%. It's because it's meant to push you out of your comfort zone to ask for something mm-hmm. that you okay. want. Yeah. And you'll probably be told no and you'll probably be really embarrassed or scared to do it in front of everybody in the coffee shop and afraid to look like big time celebrity athlete. But honestly, the whole point of the experiment is to push you outside your comfort zone and to, to ask for something. And to put you in this kind of state of mind that if you want something, it's absolutely okay to ask. And if you're told no, you know, it's no big deal. That one, it's so interesting. I accept, I accept your challenge, and uh, but I will, I will say that my, the challenges, the challenges won't be um, quite, quite like that. But I do, I do like that one a lot. Like not as mean as that one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Olympic Mindset is sponsored by Hugh. Makers of colourful, affordable visualisers and animation kits. Perfect for creative teaching, homeschooling and remote working. Described by many teachers as a complete game changer, Hue's high quality USB document cameras have won awards worldwide and they are also STEM.org authenticated. Hue cameras make it quick and easy to share work, record lessons or save time and money by not having to photocopy. The manual focus and flexible neck means that you can show even the smallest objects and nobody misses out because they can't see. Follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun and giveaways. And for a limited time offer of 10% discount, please enter the code OLYMPIC10 at the HueHD.com shop. So Shari, you've obviously had a lot of success and lots of learning through your career. What would you say is the greatest growth moment in your career you said something earlier my aha moment but what was the greatest aha moment in your career um i i i would say that biggest aha moment in my career was when i figured out how to when i started questioning um my biggest thing is to like if i could give like hey you're not allowed to give any other advice but like what is one thing that you could give advice to i would say to everybody ask yourself a question every single night before you go to sleep. And it needs to be specific. Just ask a question like if it's an answer to a problem that you have, or if it's a what's my next step, or how what can I do to be the happiest I can be, um, whatever that looks like. Um, that would be like my biggest piece of advice because once I started questioning how to fix this anxiety, that's when my answers truly came. So that was my biggest aha moment, I would say. But my biggest growth moment um, was – after I didn't make the Olympics in 2021, um, because I have suffered from anxiety a lot, but I had never suffered from depression before. Um, and I got hit with so much depression. I couldn't believe it. There's a huge thing when you're a, an athlete, all of your time is spent training. So you can't really do a full-time job. And so you rely heavily on sponsors. And 
it was wild. The week after I didn't make the Olympics, I watched just sponsor after sponsor after sponsor just drop me, drop me, drop me, drop me, drop me. And uh, that that was in and of itself, you know, really like, whoa, that's my entire income. Like I just lost my whole income. Um, I also had one of my coaches um, contact me and say that if I really wanted to made make the Olympics, I would have, and that they were really disappointed in me. Um, and that they gave me everything and I gave them nothing in return. And that was really devastating because as an athlete, you always assume like you get to a space where like people will still love you if, if you don't do well. And when that turns out to not be true, you know, it does cause like a lot of bouts of like, holy smokes. Like I, I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, just watching the Olympics and not being there and realizing that like everything I had worked for just came crashing down. So um, that was interesting (laughs) to say the least. So talk about kicking you while you're down. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting. Um, But that was actually, I talked earlier about, you know, now I'm in a space where when things get really rough, I tell myself like, I know this is going to get, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to come back through the other side. That was the first moment where I actually did that because I got in such a low space that I had like really dangerous ideations. I had really like my, my, my mind was not being healthy at the time in its thought process. My body was like just sick and I was tired. I just wanted to go to sleep. I wanted to sleep all day long. Um, and I didn't want to see anybody and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And, uh, I will say that like, weirdly, like I did feel like absolutely alone in those moments. Um, But I, that was the first time I ever really was like, okay, like you've been through a lot so far and you do believe that you're going to get through this. Right. And there was a part of me that was like, I don't know, man, like, I honestly don't know if I'm going to get through this one. And so, you know, there was a lot of back and forth through me being like, just try, you know, like, like, you know, I would just say like, just try, just try. Like, that's what I kept saying. Like, just try. Um, even though like my body's like, I just like, don't think I can. And I kept just saying, just try. And, um, so I would get up and like, you know, just go walk, you know, go walk. So I'd go out and walk and I'd get like tired walking. And like, I would get like pains in my knee and pains in my hip. And I was like, I'm not even training right now. And I'm like in pain, like what is going on? And it was just like really, really rough. But every day I would just, okay, just, you know what, just put on your shoes. You don't actually have to go out, just put on your shoes. And I would put on my shoes be like, all right, let's just drink some water and let the water like make us feel like hydrated. Okay. You know, like, let's just go on a walk. Okay. Let's just run a little bit. And day after day, I would really just say, just try. And, um, a little bit at a time, I saw myself kind of start to come back to life. And that's when I kind of like had this thought of like, pride because I kept saying, just try. And then that's kind of how I had that big mindset of like, when I'm in a bad moment, I say, I know this is eventually going to pass, but I'm going to choose to push through it. Um, because, uh, because of that moment and without those moments, to be honest, because that was when I really decided, you know, I need to, um, I need to work hard on being more proactive with my, with my mental, uh, mindset and my mental training. And that's how I actually came up up with 30 days with Shari. That's when I actually started using every tool that I had at my disposal from years and years and years of sports psychologists. And then my own, I got out my journals, my own aha moments. I went through my own social media because I, I talk a lot about my growth moments on social media and I will share like experiences and I'll go through my social media and I will get like tidbits of like, yes, do you remember that? And I would write it down and I just started planning. I just started like searching and it started to like kind of bring me back to life. And so really like it was this huge moment of like, even at your darkest, you can get through it. Even when your income's gone and your dream is gone and your goal is gone and like 
everybody's leaving you. And it was another time where like my family, like they love me so much, but I think they wanted to give me space. They didn't want to crowd me. And so it was silent. Right. And that's why I felt so alone. And, um, in my silly brain, the silly part of my brain, I was saying like, people are disappointed in me or they're, or, or they're, they pity me. So they're embarrassed to talk to me. They, they feel uncomfortable talking to me, which is even worse. Right. And then people are telling me that they're disappointed in me. Um, people are, my sponsors are leaving me. And even when I was at my darkest and when things were just falling apart at the seams, um, I realized that like, I can still get through that. And that was probably why that was my biggest growth moment because it set up for me to proactively work on my mindset so that I could have such a strong, solid mind. And again, that doesn't mean that nothing touches me. Like every once in a while, I'll still be hit with something and I'm like, oh my goodness, like what the world? But that's when I know what work I need to do in that moment. You know, success is like not really that great of a teacher. (laughs) Um, Failure is like where you actually learn. And so that's another thing. um, When I go through hard times, I've, I've done this plenty like lately (laughs) Um, where I'm going through a hard time and I'm like, I have literally been like, okay, what's the lesson? Tell me, (laughs) tell me what the lesson is because it's like, I know that this is like a, whatever I'm going through is a hard time which means I'm about to learn something like really great because every single time I've gone through like those hard times, like I've always come out with like a huge lesson and it's made me better and it's made me grow and it's made me change and adapt and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of almost like, if you want to switch a mindset, you almost say like, Oh my goodness, thank you. I'm just, I'm just doing terrible right now, which means I'm growing like crazy, you know, kind of a thing. You can almost switch the mindset um, in that regard because my biggest growth moments have been when I was my lowest. Possibly too personal a question and feel free to tell me no. <laughs> Obviously you've done an awful lot to challenge your kind of your mental state, your mindset, and you've developed an amazing program, which now you've shared with, with everyone. Was there any kind of changes you made to your inner circle or the people around you at any stage based on all the things you've been through? Um, were there any lessons you learned there? And did you have to maybe cut anyone out of your inner circle during those down periods? Yeah, um, I will say, I will say uh, that uh, the um, coach that I had, I just adore her, like really, like I just adore her. And I think that she was as hurt as I was hurt. Honestly, my motto in life is there is like literally no reason to like have a negative like energy in your life and the people around you like they're human too you know so there's no reason to not forgive but we decided like my 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 main coach and I decided that you know we won't have her be part of the team mostly um just to protect like the energy of a competition in the fact of like I don't want subconsciously something to come up in a worry of like, somebody's not going to be happy with me if I don't do well. And I want to make sure that I can detach my value as a person to my competitions. Um, And it was important to do that as well. Um, But again, like, um, I don't really personally, and I think everybody has to have their own specific boundaries. I'm really, I feel like I really feel blessed that I grew up kind of being able to create natural boundaries and be able to say like, no, but also have no ill will, you know? So yes, there's definitely had to been like, be like a change in that regard, because at the end of the day, you do want to make sure that you're putting um, like the best people that are going to, you know, you're training so much and it's, you're putting everything on the line for it. So you do want to make sure you have people that you trust 100% um, on your team just purely out of interest, you mentioned something earlier about pity being the worst thing when somebody would pity you. Would you say for you, which which is worse, to be pitied or to be kind of envied, like somebody to be envious of you or to pity you? Ooh, that's hard. Um, I feel like most people would say pitied would be way worse, right? Um, the, the issue is I always hope that... Um, we as like a collective humans um, just 
my, my whole thought in, in life is I want you to do your best. Um, I hope that my, my best beats your best, but if we're both doing our best, like that's amazing. And if your best, if your best beats my best, if I'm doing my best, I'm still going to be pretty happy. And if you're doing your best, you're still going to be pretty happy. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about track is people could take ninth and if they got a personal best, they're like, yeah, you know what I mean? And if somebody truly pitied me, I would say that they don't like that I feel sad. And so they're like, oh man, like poor thing, you know? And it's just like, they genuinely don't like that I feel sad. I would probably rather have that person in my corner than a person that's on my team that um, hopes I don't do well. And if I do well, like they find pain in my pleasure. I think I would prefer to be pitied. Um, and I, I like, and I think that's just me trying to put my ego completely aside and be like, oh, I don't need anybody to pit, pity me. Like you're just jealous, like all that. But no, like if you really think about, you know, like what would bring you joy, like having somebody be sad that you're sad um, is so much better <laughs> than have somebody to be sad that you're happy. That was a long walk for a short drink of water. I could have just answered and said, I'd rather be pitied, but that I just decided to like explain my entire life story instead. Cool. I, no, I liked it because I could hear your thought process. And I think sometimes yeah. when you answer a question on the spot like that, so honestly, anybody like myself listening at home, hearing your thought process and your justification for the answer is probably just as important as hearing the answer. So thank you. Flipping back now to team captain, how do you manage that kind of responsibility? And just very quickly, are there any particular leadership skills that you would recommend to our listeners based on your experience representing at that highest level? This is a this is a position that cannot be taken lightly because these are, yes, these are like all heptathletes. So I just like want to like make sure that they're taken care of. But I have got to remember that these are also my competitors. And so if I hear some juicy secrets that we should be sharing with our people and I decide not to share them, like it's really important that I look out for the the 2016 Shari that doesn't have a coach with like a ton of insight or don't have a coach that it's like really well connected there are competitions that they'll say, Hey, like for heptathletes, we're going to do this, this, and this for this competition. And like, for me, like personally, because I was able to secure sponsorships and because like I have made team USA. So like I have a little bit more funding, I am able to go to those meets, right? It's not a problem for me. So I'm like, Oh yeah, like sounds great. Let's make it happen. Um, I have to be willing to say, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like, I think we need to make this competition more accessible for athletes who can't go. Um, and I remember getting on a call and I was on the phone for like two and a half hours, just fighting for something that was against my best interest. I was like, I think you guys need to listen to me because what you're saying serves me better than everybody else. I, it's such an advantage for me and it's wrong. And I was like, you can't just cater to the people who are set up. I think that when it comes to leadership in general, the number one thing I would say that is important is awareness because it's so easy for us to be naturally self-serving, but instead we have to really be aware of who we are leading and what they need and how we can give that to them. Um, and then obviously just like leading by example as much as possible, because a lot of times like people will look to their leaders and if their leaders are like kind, compassionate and approachable, I mean, they're going to have such a, a much better experience and they're going to, you know, it's very much like the saying, I don't know if you guys say this in England, but we always say you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar to be like, you know, approachable, kind, compassionate to the people that you're leading, but also just being so aware of, of who you're leading and what they need. Because more likely than not, if you are in a leadership position, you've been in the non-leadership position as well. So you have been to that person, you've been that person before. And so, you know, what the job entails and who you're actually leading. Like, and that's just my assumption. Like I had to kind of go back to 2016 before Shari had any sponsorship money or anything and like couldn't afford to go to these like elaborate places. Um, let's try to make it so that she can actually participate as well. 
that's an amazing attitude. And funny enough, I was talking to a friend of mine about this mm-hmm. very subject the other day, sending the elevator back down. Um, so he's a pilot for an airline in the UK. I'm not going to name the airline, but he was saying how he sometimes attends meetings and some of the more senior staff kind of say, well, I had to go through that. So, so should you. And he was saying to me, it's such a strange mindset to him. Why would you want people to go through the same difficulties and challenges that you went through when you now have an opportunity to send the elevator back down and give them a chance? Yeah, that's a, that is so true. Like that's, and I really like that analogy of like sending the elevator back down, especially because I think that the, the reason to go into a leadership position should be so that you can make it better than when you had it. Like, I mean, I'm sure that that person who was like, I had to go through this, like when he was going through it, he was probably like, there's got to be a better way. Um, And like guarantee he thought that a few times, like, oh, there's got to be a better way. So it shocks me that he was put into a leadership position and not willing to make a better way and be a better leader. And the one thing I will say is this particular leader wasn't successful, wasn't admired and, and didn't have a lot of success later. So he's not going to be on the yeah. podcast. But, you know, taking that full circle now back to the name of the podcast, you know, is the Olympic Mindset yeah. Podcast. Could you please tell us just three features of an Olympic mindset? Yeah, I thought about it a lot. And I was trying to like kind of narrow down the things that um, make the most sense for me when it comes to like Olympic level mindset. Um And mine was my three words that I kind of chose was um, consistency because I truly like do not care if you've never run before ever in your whole life. If you start today and you continue to do it and you continue to do it with um, vigor, you're going to get somewhere. Consistency is the first one. The second one is curiosity. And the reason I say that is, remember, I I talked to you about if I could give one piece of advice, it'd be to ask yourself a question every single day, no matter what. And I would do it before bed because then when you sleep, your subconscious will be like, oh, let me answer that question for you. And then it'll be presented in some way. Curiosity is like so important when it comes to like having an Olympic mindset because you will not go as far as you think you will go if you are just doing and not knowing why and not asking why. The times that I've improved the most when it came to my actual track and field performance was when I learned why we do drills. I literally thought drills like sprint drills were just for warming up. I just thought we were just warming up our bodies. I had no idea that we were practicing correct form. If you never ask a question, you'll never get an answer for it. So curiosity is number two. And then the third one is passion. And it doesn't have to be your entire life. That, that's like something I had to learn the hard way. Hey, like as a parent, like there are days where you feel like you're like super parent and days where you're probably like, well, that was not the best, you know? Yeah, I have a lot of those, Shari. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is um, I'm the youngest of five and all of my siblings have children. So I have 13 nieces and nephews. And um, even like as an, as an aunt, like I feel like there are days where, you know, I text my nieces all the time and like I'm talking to them on the phone, I'm sending them birthday presents. And then there are times where I forget they exist. Um, because they like, I'm in California, they're all like in other States. And I'm like, I have not talked to any of my nieces and nephews in months. Like, how dare I, I'm literally the worst, you know, but it's just so important that we understand that life isn't perfect. But when we go after something, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent of our life, but we do so with passion. That is how you become the Olympian of your category. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean you go to the Olympics, but it means that you reach your fullest potential in the aspect that you're doing. I've got one question left, but before I ask that, I've I've got two really quick ones I I have to ask you based on our conversation. Would it make a difference to you if you reach the Olympics? Um, That's a really good question. Um, So um, I talk about this in 30 Days Bashari, actually. Um, I talk about the difference between dreams and goals. And I always thought it was my dream, my dream, my dream, my dream to be an Olympian. I learned when I didn't make the Olympics that um, when I got depressed because my dream just shattered in front of me and now I don't like, what what do I do now? Like my dream's gone. It's completely gone. Mm. But think about the Olympians themselves is they go to the Olympics and then their dream is done 
as soon as they come home. And they say that a lot of Olympians get really depressed after the Olympics. And um, it's because they their dream, it's like, that was just a moment in time. Finding your dream is different. Um, being an Olympian is a goal. Um, that is a step in pursuit of my dream. Um, I really want to be able to give back as much that, as I can. And I want to be able to have like beautiful experiences in life and be able to travel and see my family and like laugh and play and enjoy um, life and um, the great thing about track is it gives me so many opportunities to do those things. When I compete, I get to compete all over the world. And as soon as track meets are over, I get to explore the cities and I get to go meet people. And it track has allowed me to work with people all across the world and be able to help them and be able to talk to them, talk to people that aren't even in the same country as me and have a conversation and reach so many people. And I'm realizing, and that was a huge thing for me, um, was to find um, my personal dream and what I feel like could give me passion. I've learned that it's okay if not every goal happens, as long as you're continuing to make goals, recreate goals, and get closer to what you truly want in life, um, which is hard to find for some people. It, would it matter if I made the Olympics? Absolutely not. You talk a lot about connection and your desire to help others and almost your responsibility to help others. You have a huge social media following. I think you've probably got a bigger following than, than most of your sponsors now, which is probably quite satisfying after what happened with, with the ones that left you before. If you could go back and not have a social media presence and not be an influencer, would you remove social media if you could? Do you know what's interesting about social media is... Uh... I used to hate it. I used to hate social media so bad. Like if you asked me this three years ago, I probably would have said yes. And uh, the reason I always say that I continue on with social media is for two reasons. Um, the first reason is it allows me to be able to do track full time. I don't have to get another job. Um, and the second thing is the moment that my mindset switched with social media uh, was I got a message from somebody who was like, hi, I wanted to tell you a story because you changed my life. And it was when I was actually living in England and every day um, I would walk to the University of Bath um, and I would just, I was, I, I don't know, I was bored. So I would talk about like the cars going on the wrong side of the road. And so <laughs> I was on the wrong side of the sidewalk. And so I was always afraid that a car was going to hit me because the roads were so narrow. And I was just like, ah, you know, like it was just like really me commentating about life. And I would like kind of just give random thoughts. It was basically like, Honestly, had I like thought about it, I would have just recorded it every day and then made a podcast about like like the the walk to school podcast or something like that um, because it was just me just talking all the time. And then I was having a really hard time one day. So I started creating what I called an everyday amazing challenge, a challenge every day to make my day amazing. And it was like um, talk uh, talk to five people, like ask five people how they're doing today, like go up to them and like, and or like compliment three people um, genuinely that I've never met before, um, stuff like that. Um, and this, this person was like, I wanted you to know that I started doing your challenges and I started tuning into you every single day. And you really made me want to just have a more enriching, more beautiful, more positive life. Um, that was the moment where I was like, whoa, um, I didn't know that this could have such a, like an incredible impact. Um, as like a teacher and as an educator, like I the, the feeling, like you said, the feeling when you let allowed the girls to go from this to this, like the feeling of having somebody go from being like depressed and like having a horrible habit to like creating positive habits in their life and like changing their lives. Like it's the most like, and maybe, maybe it is something that's like, it's selfish. It's like, oh, it made me feel so good. Right. But it was just the most fulfilling thing. And it changed my entire perspective of social media. After everything we've discussed today, after everything you've been through in your career, what would you go back and say to a young Shari? Um, the one thing that I would say to her is, is don't assume so much and start asking questions. Get your, get your stuff from here out in the world um, because you're probably wrong if you're assuming something. Um, I still do it, honestly. I still find myself um, learning something that I could have learned five years ago, if I would have stopped assuming and asked questions, you know what I mean? Um, but the, that would be one. The second one would be to give yourself grace. So it's, I, I feel like I always hear people like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And that is so yeah. true, but it is important that we are humans 
and we are tired and we have a lot going on and we don't always follow through with ourselves. And at the, and I think at that, those moments we get really hard on ourselves. Um, and I know I would get really, really hard on myself. And now my biggest thing is I say, it's okay. It's okay that that happened. Um, what do you want to do now? Um, and usually what I want to do now is I want to actually do something pr- productive. Like it's okay that you just spent four hours watching TV, but what do you want to do now? You know what I mean? Like how can we, how can we do something now? And usually that's when I'll get up, I'll take a shower, I'll, uh, you know, start cleaning my kitchen or doing something productive or I'll go on a walk or something. Um, and I used to be so, Oh, why did you do that? Why did you, what's wrong with you? You know, that kind of thing. And now like being able to give myself grace. And I wish I would have told myself that a little earlier, like just be okay. As long as you're not, you know, there's a difference between giving yourself grace and giving yourself excuses, you know, like, Hey, you know, this is fine. Keep going. Like whatever, nobody cares. Like that's, that's different than it's okay. But what can we do? How can we progress forward? You know, kind of a thing. Um, and then I would say the last thing that I would kind of tell like baby Shari is that you aren't going to be everyone's cup of tea. I am a, I am, oh, by the way, speaking of tea, I never drank tea, not one time until I moved to England and now I'm obsessed (laughs) with it. So thank you for that. Um, especially English breakfast, everything else is not it for me, but if we, you give me a nice breakfast tea. Um, but anyways, uh, the, the last thing that I would definitely say is that you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, I know that I'm a lot. My energy is like really a lot. And um, I also have kind of, um, when I was younger, I was the kind of the girl that talked a lot. I loved just chatting. I loved talking and when I was younger. Come on, it's the same. But I also thought everything was hilarious. And so I would just laugh at everything. And I was just like, and a lot of people, like I had coaches in high school tell me like, you're so immature, like you need to grow up. Um, I had people being like, she's so fake. Like, that's just not who, that's not like how people are. Like she, she's not like a real, she's not real. Um, and it would make me would be really just embarrassed. Like I would be so embarrassed with like, about like who I was and I wished I was somebody else. I wish I was cooler. I wish I was like, like, uh, I would just, and instead, instead of being like, okay with who I am and finding the people who love that energy, um, I would try to tone it down, but not tone it down in a respectful way where, hey, instead of just talking, why don't you learn to listen? Like, that's one thing. It's good to adapt and it's good to like um, be self-aware. But another thing would be like, I'd just be like, don't say anything. Like if you wanted, if I wanted to contribute, like just nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And it kind of, I felt myself like start to dim my shine and it wasn't until like I really started working hard on myself um, that I started getting so self-aware that I was confident in what I loved about myself. And then I was self-aware in the parts of like, okay, like I could see how me not like letting somebody speak could be like, you know, a turnoff. So let's go ahead and adjust, you know, learning where to adjust things that I wouldn't really like if other people did. Um, that I'm doing, but the things I love about myself that I appreciate, that I would appreciate in other people, like honing that in and being proud of it and all that kind of stuff. So those would probably be the three things that I would, I would tell baby Shari. It's really sad to hear you say that about dimming your light. It's really sad because my kids are so enthusiastic and excitable and lovely and bubbly and positive. And do you know what? If there's one thing I would say to my kids is meeting you and seeing the success you've had is don't dim your light for other people. You know, there's no kind of glory in hiding away in the shadows to make others feel better about themselves, you know, because obviously you've reached a level now that they probably could never even aspire to achieve. So good for you. You could go back and say that to young Shari, pat her on the back. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just like, I think about, sometimes I think about baby Shari and I just like get so happy. Um, And then I think about like, like, you know, young adult Shari, like, and I'm like, oh, you poor baby. (laughs) Like, because there was like a lot of times where I felt like I needed to actively just, just stop nobody wants to hear it 
And I remember being like, man, I just wish I was a different person. Like, I wish I was like the kind of person that people liked to be around, um, which is so mean to myself. So Shari, uh, thank you very much for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. It's been truly inspirational and amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun and just keep up the good work. You're doing amazing, amazing, amazing work and you're helping so many people. And it's just like really, really important that you that you like keep going it's amazing thank you so much and i'll remember next time i meet an american not to ask are you okay (laughs) (laughs) i know isn't that so funny it's just like a (gasps) thanks for joining me dominic broad at the olympic mindset podcast brought to you by pearson the world's leading learning company Now, at the end of today's episode, we do have a chat with a very special guest, the owner of VSI. He's a former professional footballer. He played for Manchester City Football Club. And Tony managed to reinvent himself after his career and create this amazing organisation that allows ex-athletes and executive leaders to work together on high-level, high-caliber executive leadership courses. So we're going to have a quick chat with Tony today, hear a little about himself, a little about the organization. And if you are looking to apply the Olympic mindset and develop yourselves further, then get in touch with VSI. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my brief chat with Tony and see you next time. Tony, how are you? Hi, Dom. I'm great. How are you? Great. Thank you, mate. So um, first of all, tell us who are you? So uh, I am the the co-founder and managing director of VSI. Um, We design and deliver executive education programs in the world of sport. We've been doing this now for going on 10 years with my co-founder in the business, Andrew McIntyre. My background is in the world of of sport and business. So I was a former professional footballer, had to retire early at 21, smashed my back to pieces, had seven operations on it. That led me into university where I trained as a physiotherapist, didn't like it, didn't want to be rubbing footballers' legs for the rest of my life, then became a psychologist and then moved into a couple of performance director roles, most notably at uh, Blackburn Rovers and, and, and Manchester City. Um, And in 2012, we then set up VSI after me engaging in multiple rounds of research with high performing sports organizations and businesses actually all over the globe. And most notably, we delivered the MSc in Sports Directorship Program, which back in 2012 was the very first program of its kind in the world, 2014, sorry. And we also, alongside that, run um, the CEO of a sports organization program where we get delegates in CEO roles, COO roles, managers, owners of clubs, et cetera, et cetera, that join the program to continue their professional development. So in essence, Dom, that's that's me and that's VSI. Amazing, mate. And to be honest with you, Tony, um, listening to you talk there and knowing a little about your background, you should be one of our guests, not just uh, joining us as a partner. And that's what this is. You know, VSI have joined us as partners. They're a fantastic organization and we're very excited to work alongside you going forward. But ultimately, you know, you practice what you preach, Tony. You've literally applied the Olympic mindset to your life and created this whole new organization to benefit anybody working in executive leadership so you know credit to you and credit to the team you work with so what's coming up next for VSI? This January actually we launch a a new program so we are taking the MSc in sports directorship online because it's online it allows that level of flexibility so it's going to be a unique program from that perspective. We look at our individuals that join the programs as delegates because they are senior people that are operating in the world of of sport and we know what their level of expectation is. I've worked in professional sport for, for just under 20 years Amazing, exciting times. And just before we go, you know, a list of delegates. There's some very, very impressive former alumni of the of the programme. Yeah, so um, you, you, you're obviously speaking with Beth Tweddle uh, today. So, so Beth is a graduate from um, the MSc in Sports Directorship programme. On her programme, we also had Kelly Southerton and, and Goldie Sayers, two more Olympic medal winning athletes. We've had Rebecca Adlington, obviously the, the two-time gold winner. In the world of professional football, we've had Julian Lescott, Manchester City, England International, Nicky Butt, Manchester United, England International. We've had Sean Wayne, 
who is the England Rugby League manager. We've had chief executives of clubs. We've had managing directors of clubs. Uh, we've had international rugby union players. We've had Ashley Giles, international cricket player and former sporting director for the ECB. The list goes on. Exactly. Some amazing delegates. And now me. <laughs> and now you. So you'll be joining us uh, next month. We're looking forward to getting you involved. Uh, we're excited about the relationship that we're developing. Um, you know, we want to add a great deal of value to you through the programme that you're going to go on and the people that you're going to meet. And obviously, we'll reciprocate with um, the, 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 you know, the really exciting podcast and the very interesting guests that you, you get on this. So hopefully, Dom, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great opportunity for both of us moving forward. Definitely, Tony. I'm really excited to join you on the course. Obviously, the title of the podcast is the Olympic Mindset Podcast. I believe that you kind of, you know, you embody that. Everything you've done after football, most people, when they fail in sport or fail in business, struggle to come back from that. And we've been unpicking these kind of traits through the series. And obviously, you've managed to create this unbelievable organization. So credit to you. And um, I'm excited to join and kind of learn from yourself and learn alongside those people. So, Anybody wishing to join me on the CEO programme or one of the MSC programmes, what would they do, Tony? They can get in touch with, with VSI directly, info at vsiee.com. Put in place what we call discovery calls. Those discovery calls will be with the two VSI founders. So that's myself and Andrew McIntyre. And we get to know the person before to make sure that we feel that we can support them to the very best of our ability. And also we feel we need to know that they are, are going to be able to both support and challenge the other delegates that are on the programme. And if we get to that point, then great. We've got uh, an opportunity to discuss how they apply and how they uh, how they go through an interview process. Now that the world is more or less back to normal, we've got networking events coming up over the next couple of months as well which are really exciting because we bring all the alumni together from across the various different programs and, and they add great value to the delegates that are, are constantly doing business with each other, employing each other. We, we've had a couple of funds develop actually from our delegates that have actually gone off and bought football clubs. Amazing, exciting times. Thank you for joining me today, Tony. Have a great day. Thanks, Dom. Speak to you soon.